Greetings, Retreat Church. It's good to bring the Word of the Lord to you again, and you can grab your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 2. We're living in this kind of time where a lot of craziness is taking place, and I kind of ask myself, has there ever been a, a time in history where there hasn't been craziness, where there hasn't been madness, where there hasn't been confusion, doubt, chaos, all of those different things. And, and I don't think the answer is yes. Um, and if the answer is no, those periods of, of quietness and reasonableness were probably very, very short and far between. But you know what? In all of it, I, I've learned that people with whom I tend to disagree, um, people that I don't have much in common with, people that are very different than me, um, maybe they have different perspectives, a different worldview, different history, different experiences in life, different theological perspectives. You know, those people that don't line up with the way I see the world very much at all, um, they need to be paid attention to by me. I have to listen. I have to pay attention. I have to really hear them. Because just because someone is not like me or someone um, thinks differently than me doesn't mean that they have um, nothing to say to me. It doesn't mean that God can't use them in my life to bring truth to my life. And so I've learned that, that I have to listen. And we, we live in a society that doesn't do well with that. And I'm not saying that I've somehow arrived at a better place. I'm saying that I, I have this goal in my life to listen to people that I, that I would tend to disagree with because I'm a person that has decided that um, truth is from God and that evidence leads us to truth, and maybe I don't have everything correct. So we live in a culture that basically if somebody that you tend to disagree with says something, anything, then just because that person's different than you, you're going to reject it. Um, we had in, in the New Testament, Jewish people would only listen to Jewish people. If, if a Gentile spoke a word of truth, the Jew would, would reject it automatically. They wouldn't consider the evidence. They wouldn't consider the logic or the reasonableness. They wouldn't consider it at all because a Gentile said it. Or on the other hand, if a Jewish person was speaking something, and this would be very, very rare, if not just absent from their culture, if a Jew would be speaking at all to a Gentile, that Gentile would be shocked. That Gentile would be at all with the fact that this Jew is even speaking to them. Not, not because they adored the Jew, but because they thought, hey, you're so arrogant, and, and why would you even want to talk to me? And so there were these barriers in the first century, Jew or Gentile, and um, in this world where the gospel itself extremely plain. Extremely plain. Now, when I say plain, I do not mean that it lacks profoundness. is very, very profound, very deep, yet very, very plain to understand in and of itself. But yet, the source and the people that are talking about the gospel, the people that discuss the gospel, the people that preach the gospel, that teach the gospel, that communicate and live within that, sometimes the people can be very, very confusing. Sometimes the church can be full of confusing, wonderful people that disagree with one another. And, and in the first century, when the apostles began to uh, be filled with the Holy Spirit and move into that position of leadership and God was beginning to use them to literally spread the gospel all over the world, 
it was going to be this major push in their life that was unlike anything that they had ever experienced before because here were these predominantly Jewish people that were going to be forced into a Gentile world to preach the gospel. And there was a Gentile world that was getting ready to receive the gospel from a Jewish world. And there was this collision taking place. People that normally would not talk to each other at all, would not associate with each other at all. The gospel itself, the truth of the gospel, the plainness of the gospel was, was going to push through all of that confusion and all of that animosity and all of that division. And we understand a lot of things in Acts chapter 2, and we're going to kind of camp out here for a little while as we approach Pentecost Sunday on May 31st, if I have that correct. I, I hope I'm remembering that correctly. And as we've been sitting in this idea of the ascension of Jesus, and then we understand that for 40 days, Jesus taught his his people about the kingdom of God and revealed himself as resurrected. Within that time, he was doing so much work that all of it kind of came to fruition on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit arrived and enlightened his people. And we see that radical change take place. And so over these next several weeks leading up to the end of the month, we're going to do a series called 50 Days Later. 50 Days Later, 50 Days After the Resurrection of Jesus. And I just want to talk this morning about this idea that the gospel is plain, but those who talk about it are often confusing. Christians are often very confusing people. Let's look at the text today. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, where we read this way. If hopefully you have your Bibles open. Before you. It says this When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on them, each of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were, dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at this sound the multitude came together. And they were bewildered because, notice this, they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews, proselytes, Cretans, Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, they mocked, ah, they're full of new wine. So interesting in this text, that it's not the great things of God that amazed them. It's not the gospel that was perplexing. It, not, it was not the, the content of the message 
that confused people. What confused people and perplexed people and made them wonder at this was that they were understanding it in their own language and that who was speaking to them was speaking in their own language. That shocked them and amazed them that they would hear from this group of people. You see, the message is plain. The message is plain. But the people and the communication among the people is confusing. Confusing to the point that when people that normally won't interact with each other, people that normally will have absolutely nothing to do with one another, begin to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Begin to proclaim the great things of God. There's this unity that starts to take place that is so confusing, that is so rare, that people actually got accused of being drunk. So, what was going on here in this amazing point of communication? The first thing we notice right away as we read verses 1-4 through four is that the Holy Spirit was giving them what to say. The Holy Spirit was giving them what to say. Therefore, it was not going to be confusing. It was not going to be something that only a few people could understand. It was going to be plain. It was going to be powerful. It was going to be comprehensible. It was going to be everything people had wanted to hear and needed to hear, and the Holy Spirit was fueling the whole thing. Therefore, what was being said was not confusing at all. Notice the people that had the gospel preached to them, those waiting in the upper room, they didn't have to think up what to say. They didn't have to come up with a catchy way how to say it. They simply had to follow the lead of the Holy Spirit as He gave them utterance. See, you know what that's like if you're a Christian. You know that when God prompts your heart and God puts words in your mind and in your mouth, but you don't want to speak them. You know that you're supposed to tell somebody a great thing about God. You know you're supposed to share the gospel with them, do something kind for them, minister to them in some way, that you're supposed to share Christ with them. Maybe it's a sharing of a passage of Scripture. Maybe it's a prayer. Maybe it's an invitation. But when you start to feel that sense in your spirit and you're saying, oh man, I've got to go tell these people. See, it's not that you don't know what to say. It's you're afraid of being rejected. You're afraid of getting in a position that you don't know how to handle. And so it's not that you don't know what to say, because what to say has been given to you and it's very plain. But you're afraid of your own ability to communicate. You're afraid of the other person. You see, because the gospel is plain, but those that talk are often very, very, very confusing. But the Holy Spirit does the work. See, it removes all of our excuses. It's not that we don't know what to say because the gospel is pretty plain. If you've been walking with Jesus for any amount of time at all, you understand that God created everything that is, including us. And we rebelled against God. And our sin has separated us from Him. And so Jesus came and He paid the price for that and is the way back to unity with our Creator. Very plain. Very plain. Profound, yes. Plain also. And so the Holy Spirit gave them what to say, and you, you know what to say. You know how to share the gospel. I think the Holy Spirit can give us a word to speak when we have very little in common with one another. I think the church is a beautiful place. Most local churches that I've known, I've been a part of, been associated with, 
have people within the, the membership, within the congregation, that in no other place in life would they ever have crossed paths that they never would have been part of each other's lives. Maybe it's an age difference. Maybe it's a cultural difference. Maybe it's a, a, an educational level distance, socioeconomic difference. But in the church, you just have people with the commonality of the gospel of Jesus Christ and they're in relationship, loving and serving and ministering to one another, even though they're very, very different. And I think the church is, can be a wonderful place where that should be taking place. And when you think about this text, I don't want you to get tripped up over the fanciful I don't want you to get tripped up over this idea of tongues of fire. I don't want you to get lost in the symbolism and then start seeking this ecstatic experience. Because notice what was taking place here. There was no confusion about what was said. What was said was extremely plain. So there wasn't this chaotic movement of the Holy Spirit. There wasn't this hyper-emotionalized experience of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't that whatsoever at all. But when people want to get wrapped up in things in this, in this passage, they get all wrapped up in the sound like a mighty rushing wind. And they get all wound up about this idea of tongues of fire. And they say, we want tongues of fire and we want sounds of wind. Who cares about that? That's not the point of the passage. The point of the passage is the plainness of the Gospel spoken from people to people empowered by the Holy Spirit, and these people were vastly different. These people hated one another, rejected one another, had nothing to do with one another, but as the Holy Spirit began to move in that community, the plainness of the gospel was spoken, and it was so plain that it was amazing. It was amazing about who was giving the message and who was receiving the message. So the Holy Spirit empowered them what to say. The second observation is that the shocking thing about this was that they understood it in their own language. They were amazed because of they were being spoken to in a way that they could get it, in the way that they could understand. They were receiving the gospel in their own language after generation upon generation of generation being told that God had no plan for them, that they were not part of God's plan. That's what the Jewish message was to the, to the Gentile world. You are not part of God's plan. You are not God's people. You are not included. But all of a sudden, these people who were raised generation after generation to think they were rejected by God were now being welcomed by God and it was in their own language. The language of their heart. The language of their culture. The language of their history. The language of their family. That God was actually speaking to them in their language. This is immense for people that have felt rejected that it feels pushed aside and marginalized. When they start to feel that acceptance of God and in a way that, 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 is, that is understandable in their own experience and in their own heart, in their own language. They start to get welcomed in at the level of who they are. They don't need to be somebody else to get accepted. They get to get accepted because, or in light of who they are as God's people, as God's created people. So that was what was shocking to them about this and you'll notice these these responses these responses were that they were amazed <laughs> and they could not comprehend the fact that they were hearing Jewish people speak their own language and so these responses were not based on what was said they understood that plainly what prompted the response was their perception of those with whom they heard it. Their perception of those 
You see, there is a perception among the non-Christian world as they look into the church. There's a perception of people that do what I do for a living. I teach the Bible throughout the week at a Christian high school, and I teach the Bible on the weekends to a church, and a little bit during the week during a church. And So I'm constantly just communicating the Bible, and people look at me and they think a certain way. But yet if I accept them, I love them, I'm willing to listen to them and hear their story, even though they're different than me, somehow they're shocked by that. I can't tell you the numerous amounts of time where I've sat with people and listened to their story only to hear them say, no, no pastor would ever listen to me. Now I think that's a cop-out. I think that's a lie because I know many, many pastors. In fact, I want to say all the pastors that I know are doing what I do. I'm not rare. I'm, just not, I'm not any different. But people are so shocked. People are so amazed when a Christian will actually take the time to listen and consider what a non-believer would say to them about events in the world, about the way they see God or the way they understand the Bible even though they reject it. Don't, don't be mistaken. Atheists know the Bible at times way more than Christians do because they've studied it and then rejected it. It's a very difficult place to be in when a, when a, not, when a person that rejects the Gospel understands the Word of God more than the person that says they believe it. And so we must learn to look at these people because this is what really amazed them about this. They were amazed and they were perplexed and they were asking each other, what does this mean? Does this mean that we're finally accepted? Does this mean that we can actually be in relationship with God? Does this mean that we are actually now part of the plan of God? What does, what does this mean? There's a lot of that going on today, isn't there? A lot of what does this mean going on? But the challenge within this whole context is for the church to rise up and speak the plain things of God. It's for the church to rise up and speak the great things of God. Talk about what's great. Don't talk about why, why, is, it that, why is it that people feel this need to do what we call, I'm going to vent for a minute. When I, when I do go on social media and I see I'm going to vent for a minute, I pass on. That, that to me is, hey, don't read this. What, what is within a Christian that wants to complain incessantly? This, this whining and this complaining. Where's your joy? Where is your belief that God is somehow working all this out for us? You see, we, we don't need to be angry people. We don't need to be frustrated people. We don't need to be boisterous people. We need to be that. We just could just speak the plain things of God. That all throughout history and all throughout the Scriptures, whenever chaos ensued among a culture, God was stable. And God worked through the lives of His people to bring the Gospel to the forefront. No matter what the situation was, the Gospel can come to the forefront. You see, it just happens to be at this place in history where we're dealing with a pandemic, where we're dealing with COVID-19. That, that's the context, but it's not the real issue. That's the situation, but there's a different goal. You see, the goal is not that you can go to a restaurant again. The goal is that we are called to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ plainly to people that you might disagree with. 
that you might not really like. Can we say that? And so the challenge becomes, try your best this next week. Try to share a good thing with somebody that you totally disagree. Try to share something wonderful with somebody that you totally disagree. Try this week to talk to people about the great things of God and the good things that are taking place around us, the good things that you see, see, because there are many, many, many things that in in this condition that that our society is, is in, there are great things coming up. There are great things taking place. Share those great things. Share those things that, hey, because you're stuck at home, maybe you're spending more time with your spouse, and isn't that wonderful? Maybe you're actually having dinner with your kids. Isn't that great? Maybe parents are actually teaching children. What an amazing thing. Maybe now less parents are going to go to their teachers and say, my kid never acts like that. Oh, because now you know. (laughs) Now you know. You see, when, when we're around people and the church starts complaining and whining, see, I, I just don't think that that's going to promote the gospel. And yes, I, I don't particularly enjoy speaking to an empty room, but I've come to understand that um, I'm not speaking to chairs today. I'm in an empty room, and I'm speaking to full hearts, hearts full of greatness, Hearts full of maybe some anger, some confusion. Hearts full of maybe some worry. Hearts full of maybe some pain. But also hearts that are in need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so we must not fall into the trap of complaining. We must not fall into the trap of if you're a Democrat, whatever comes out of the word mouth of a Republican, it's stupid. Or whatever, if you're a Republican, whatever comes out of the mouth of a Democrat is stupid. Stop that nonsense. That that is not thinking at all. And the church has got to rise above that. And we have a wonderful opportunity to rise above the fear, rise above the complaining, rise above the whining, rise above the finger pointing and the accusations. We can rise above all that. Because we know no matter what is taking place, whether this pandemic is, is, is as bad as they say or not an issue at all, and this is all just a bunch of fear and manipulation, maybe, maybe it's a horrible disease and we're not experiencing it to be that horrible because good things, because they've told us to stay home. I honestly, to be honest with you, I honestly don't know. And I'm not one to step out and to get out of my lane and say everybody, all of the politicians are stupid, all of the doctors are stupid. I'm not in that position. I don't know. But I know this. I know that God is great. And I know that all throughout history, when the world got chaotic and crazy, the gospel increased exponentially. So I'm in that. I don't know. I don't know if we should be allowed to go to the beach I don't know if we should be able to allow, allowed to go and gather in restaurants. I don't know if we're supposed to fill this church again on a Sunday morning. I have absolutely no idea about that. I have absolutely no idea about that. And I'm kind of walking accordingly. But I know the plainness of the gospel that God created us. We rebelled against Him. He moved in our direction in grace and in mercy and paid the penalty for our sin and is ready to receive us into fellowship with Himself. I know that. 
and that's what I'm promoting. And I don't have the time or I don't have the energy to try to figure out who's doing what on the political scale. Call me naive. Call me ignorant. Call me stupid. Call me whatever you want. That's fine. But I will preach the gospel and I will proclaim the greatness of God in any and every situation. And I invite you to do that too. Because sometimes, though the gospel is plain, the church gets really confused and really kind of chaotic. And when people start hearing the great things of God, they will be amazed. You're a full-hearted person. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you today. Ask the Holy Spirit to empower you to speak greatness into a world that's chaotic. I think you can do it. I know it's in you. God bless you. We'll see you next time.